Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. Today's sermon is entitled Grace by Associate Pastor Josh Reynolds. Let me tell you this. Recently I've discovered a a new and a fresh way uh, uh, about registering, about registering for gifts. Uh, My wife and I have been married uh, nine years, so it's been a little while since we registered for uh, gifts of our, for our wedding. But when we had that baby, let me tell you, I had no idea. You get to go and you get to register for gifts again. Everybody said amen and knows what I'm talking about. This is the coolest idea I have ever heard of that you can go into a store because let's just, let's just face it, I would never take you with me into Target and say, hey, this is what I like, this is what I want, I need you to go ahead and buy that for me, go ahead and just buy that for me right now while I'm standing here. But the coolest thing about this is, is you get to go into these stores and I get to choose what I want and then I get to leave and then you get to come back in and then you get to buy me what I chose. That's awesome. And this is acceptable in our culture for some reason. I have no idea why. But let me say something about men. Uh, when, I was, when I got married, my wife said, Hey, honey, it's time to go and register for all the china and the stuff that you need when you first get married. You know, the toaster and that sort of stuff. I was like, ah, oh, this is a terrible idea. I don't want to waste my Saturday because I'm working long hours. I don't want to waste my Saturday and go and have to register for this stuff. So what these businesses decided to do, they decided, they outsmarted us men. What they did was is they, they, they came up with this idea. They figured out a way to appeal to men. They came up with a gun. A gun. We like guns. So when my wife said, hey, sweetie, it's time to go to the store, I started that mess. And she said, you get to shoot stuff. You get to shoot stuff with that gun. I said, you're kidding. She goes, no, you're going to love it. So I jumped in the car. We went, and we started, I started shooting these things. It's amazing. You just see the stuff you like, and you just pull the trigger and shoot it. Yes, please, I'll take that one. Yeah, I'll take that one. And it wasn't long before my wife, I got trigger happy shooting all this stuff. And she says, I don't even want that. Why are you shooting that item? And I told her, I said, listen, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. It's super expensive. So even if you like it or not, if someone buys it for us, then we could bring it back to the store, get the money, and then buy whatever we wanted. Don't act like you didn't do that. unreal it's an amazing amazing idea and i'm not sure i'm not sure why we even limited this kind of thing to a wedding or a baby being born i think we should just have this registry idea for all year long like birthdays the fourth of july memorial day whatever just somewhere out there you just have a list of things that you like but here's here's this here's my dilemma with these registries that we all list and, and shoot men for and get and these ideas that we go and, and find all this stuff that we like. So here, here's the big idea and the big issue that I have with this. Somebody, not in here, not in here, but someone will indefinitely, uh, inevitably go outside of the registry gift set that you register for and they'll wade out into those uncharted territories of trying to hand make something. Now, don't get me wrong here. There were some people in this church that made it some stuff. I'm not talking about you. If you <laughs> I forgot about that. Okay, listen. 
There's like 1% chance if you're sitting in this building that you're good enough to be able to create something with your hand and actually give it away to people and them like it. Okay, there's like 1% chance. So, so inevitably, there's somebody that's talented enough that, that can do that, and that's, that's great. But, but you know what's really weird, and this may not happen to you, but I'm just kind of an honesty thing because you're supposed to be honest when you're in the pulpit. It's the only place that you're required to be super honest. So when, when you are opening these gifts and you have people around you and you know how weird that is. Can I get a good amen right there? Oh, that's weird. It's just odd. You're in the hot seat and people are watching you open up the stuff that you clicked on. They went and bought. And they're watching you and you have to love it. You, you, you at least have to love it like this, even if you don't. So, so the whole idea, and I love to do this. We do this at, at our Christmas parties and things. When I buy people presents for Christmas and stuff, I do it on purpose. I make them open it right then and there. I, I want to see you open it. Open it up. I'm standing right here. Go ahead and open it. And inevitably, what I'll do is I'll say, I can tell right now you don't like it. I can tell you hate. And I'll say it to everybody in the whole room. They hate what I bought them. You know why I do that? Because it's so uncomfortable. Nobody wants to be the guy that hates what somebody got them for Christmas or birthday or baby shower or wedding stuff. Can I get a good amen? I'll never forget. I'll never forget a Christmas in 1990s. I don't want to give away too much time there, but uh, in the 1990s, I, I found a pair of boots, and it was like a Steven Seagal thing. It's so weird. Y'all remember? Never mind. Doesn't matter. So Steven Seagal had these boots, and I, I absolutely loved them. I had to have them just like this. So that's all I talked about. Dad, I want this for Christmas. Mom, uh, you know how you drop the bug in people's ear. You know your parents' ear, the people that buy you stuff for Christmas. And, and, and here it came. It's Christmas. I'm excited. Here comes a boot box. It's all wrapped up, and it's like I'm super excited. I know what it's going to be. I'm just, it's like in the bank. So I start unwrapping this boot box, and, I, and I, I, the boot box, I don't recognize the name. So I flip open the lid of this boot box, and there inside this box is the most cheap, ugly, plasticky. Anybody know what I'm talking about that wears boots? God, please don't let anybody have any plastic boots on tonight. It was the most uh, disturbing pair of boots I have ever seen. They have me on video, and they make me watch it every now and then just to keep me humble. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at this boot box inside these boots. And, and it's, I'm, I love them. They're awesome. It's a, these are exactly what I was wanting. How did you know? Besides me telling you. And you got the wrong ones. And it's so obvious. It's so obvious. It's painful. It's painful. And they're all just going, God, you're disgusting. All you care about is just getting what you want for Christmas. And they're raking me over the coals, and all of a sudden, my dad says, those aren't even the right ones. Give me that back. And he gives me the real ones, and everything's okay, and everybody's happy. And I feel like the biggest jerk on the planet. That's what kind of parents I had. They taught me about that sort of stuff by embarrassing me and by exposing my true nature, which is just give me what I want for Christmas. What I wanted to say was, what is this? What have y'all done to me? You people don't listen to anything I say. You don't even know me. And here's the truth of the matter. Some people are better at opening presents in front of other people uh, than others. Uh, For example, my, my wife is amazing at this. She'll open a gift right in front of people. 
And I'm looking over her shoulder and I'm going, oh my God, that's the most awful looking thing I have ever seen. And she goes, (laughs) she's really good at opening presents. And she goes, oh, it's darling. I was just telling Josh the other day about how much I wanted one of these. I'm going, what? You didn't tell me you wanted one of those. After everybody's gone and we take down all the thank you notes, we, we, and I, I'm like, seriously, you told me you want, do you really like that? She's like, God, no, that thing is nasty. I would never have that. I'm thinking, I don't even know you. You are some spawn of Satan right now. I don't even know what you're doing. We all have been in that predicament. We've all have, have, have said that this is not what I ask for. This is not what I had my heart set on. This is not what I had my mind on. This is not even close, not even in the neighborhood, not even on the, in the milky way of what I was thinking and what I spoke to you, what I said to you, what I shared in my heart, what I wanted. In fact, it's the exact opposite of what I was thinking. And here's the big question for us tonight. Have you ever felt this way toward God? And don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever asked God, what in the world is this? What are you doing? Plastic boots? Really? Matthew told us, however, we're to ask God for things. God, I want this. I want that. Matthew said, knocking, keep on knocking, knock, seek, ask, 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 ask. Take that gun and start shooting stuff and God's going to hook you up. Ask. Ask, 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 ask. But have you ever found yourself talking to God about what you ended up with after you asked him for something? God, I thought I said this and I ended up with this. This is not what I asked you for. Are you serious? You're God. You don't even make mistakes, but you have obviously made a mistake the first time and it happens to be me. It's not what I registered for. What is this? I ask for one thing from you. I don't even bother you, but one time a year, I want one thing from you. So the question tonight is, what do you do? What do you do when you don't get what you want from God? What do you do? I know what I do. I say, but God, I ask you. Y'all don't do that. Y'all don't think my three-month-old can do that. He already can do that. God, why would you do this to me? What do you do when God is uncooperative? What do you do? Here's the craziest thing about this. When you, when you have this, this, this awakening to God's not cooperating with my wants. God's not cooperating with what I'm asking him to do. And inevitably, this happens to me. It may not happen to you, but one of the craziest things begin to happen to me in these situations with God is when, when I start asking him for things and he doesn't come through the way I think he should. God, I need an interview. God, I need a job. God, I need a date. Not even going to say I need a wife yet. God, I just need a date. God, I just, I just need a car. I just need to feel better. You even got to heal me. I just, I just don't want to be nauseous right now. When we are in the middle of those kinds of seasons with God, inevitably, here's what happens to me. I look around and everyone, that's not an overstatement, everybody I see will be doing excellent. 
Why in the world? Every time I look, I go see, I go look at my brother and my sister, and they're doing awesome. They're whistling. Everything's fine. They got that car. They got that job. They just got that raise. And it's so weird to me. I want to be happy for you. But I'm not getting the cooperation with God that I want. And you look around and you see people that aren't even good people. They're really not even good people. You talk about them on the way home. They're not good people. They're not. Honey, did you see them? They're not even doing right. I know they're not doing right. I have two eyes. I can see. And here we are. We're paying our tithes. And God, God's not even listening to us. And they're not, listen, they're not even praying. I'm praying. I'm asking. They're not asking. They're getting. I need somebody to help me with this. I'm praying, asking God, and God is not cooperating. And these people over here that I got my eye on that's not doing very good, that seems to have everything together, they're not even asking. Mm. That bothers me. I don't know if you could tell. It's, It's happening for them. And here I am. God, all I'm asking for is a car. I'm not asking for a Porsche, maybe even a Prius. Just transportation, something. Just anything with wheels would be nice. It just seems like if God really was up there and that God really was listening and if God cares, surely God will answer my prayer. Right? Right? If he hears and I'm supposed to ask and I ask, surely he will do something on my behalf. And sometimes as long as the seasons that we, we have with, with God seem to last a long time, seems to be sometimes when God is uncooperative the, uh, the, it, and he's not getting us the stuff that we register for, listen, this is so real. This affects every one of us. And whether you want to admit it or not, you find yourself praying so hard and asking God, God, my husband, God, my wife, I need you to do something in my family, my marriage. God, I need you to work in my marriage, my prodigal son or my prodigal daughter, my health issue, Lord. I need you. Someone in my family that's sick, God, I need you to help me. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a school. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's relationships. Whatever it is, yet God seems to be uncooperative with what you're asking him to do. And what is this, God? What is this? However, you always get something from God. When you pray, you're going to get something. And many times, sometimes, seasonal times, you get things that you don't know what's going on. Why is God being so uncooperative? Now, before we go any further, I want to settle something right now because, because we need to. This feeling... This feeling can, that I'm preaching about can, is so real and, 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 and is emotional. It's very emotional. And, and we need to go ahead and just nip this right in the bud right now. So the question that we always leap to, and I know we're saved, sanctified right now, but, but the, well, we always leap to, is God really real? Is the existence of God real? So let's settle this right now. God's lack of cooperation is not an argument for or against His existence. God's lack of cooperation is not an argument for or against his existence. But because of the way that I feel and how emotional these things are that come into my life that I don't understand. And it's hard, it's not hard rather for me to make this leap of questioning God. But there is no rational correlation between whether or not God cooperates with you and whether or not God exists. 
None whatsoever. In other words, if lack of cooperation was proof that somebody, someone doesn't exist, then many of you wouldn't have, would have seasons in your life where your children didn't exist. Because they don't cooperate. We'd have a lot of kids running around, if this is true, saying, Daddy don't exist. I don't believe in Daddy. Because Daddy ain't cooperating with what I want. So the correlation has nothing to do with it. If that were true, if the correlation doesn't prove that something does or does not exist, then if that's true, and I know that it is, but these seasons, right in the middle of these seasons of your life where God seems to be silent and God seems to be a million miles away, where He seems to be so absent and so uncooperative to the request, you begin to wonder, okay, God, if you're really there, if, you really, if you're really there, if you really hear me, and we've established that, and He is there then it must be me. It must be something I'm not doing right. And I, But let me give you a disclaimer right here. I don't pretend to understand everything I'm talking about. But let me say this. When you don't get the answer you're looking for and you, 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 you surround yourself with the idea of the correlation that God has to exist even though He doesn't cooperate, you settle that issue, then something happens. We, we start looking here. It's got to be me. It must be me. I'll tell you what it is. Some people that are in this room, not necessarily uh, uh, everyone in this room, but many of you sat in leadership growing up that, that would put on you that you, obviously you just don't have enough faith or you get what you're looking for. I'm not saying I understand it. I'm not even throwing stones at that. I'm simply saying that if it was all hinged on us, there'd be no need for Calvary. There must be something wrong with me. I'm not getting what I want from God. Here's the good news about this. We're not the first people to ask this question. We're not the first people to have this struggle or this tension between asking God for things and God's giving us the answer that we're not really uh, 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 happy with. We're not getting the, 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 the absolute uh, cooperation that we're looking for. Throughout the Bible, there are men and women that God obviously, obviously loved and had concern and care for that were absolutely in seasons such as we're talking about. And there are chapters in their life where you would assume about them what you and I have felt one time or another where God... God is uncooperative at times for them as well. And that should encourage us when we hear this. That should encourage you to hear that somebody in this Bible right here, that God knew them by name, that they had the same issues that we had. I find strength in that. There are men and women in Scripture that God knew, and sometimes they felt the absence of God. And all of us know the superstar that we're going to talk about tonight and just for a few moments of the Scripture that we're going to look at is the Apostle Paul, the guy whose life mission was to take the gospel to the whole world. Paul spent 20 years of his life getting on ships, traveling into crazy, dangerous environments, all because to share the good news of the gospel and to tell people that Jesus was the Savior for all mankind. Poor Paul. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten up. He was stoned and he was put in prison. He was snake bit. That would be enough right there for me to say, I can handle this snake bit, I'm out. Every single day, Paul would get up and he would go on this adventure of life, of doing nothing but sharing the good news of the gospel. What a life. What a faithful man of God that would give his life for the kingdom. Clearly, God knew his name. After all, God called him on the road to Damascus, knocked him off his donkey. 
calls him by name, tells him and gives him a perfect a purpose, a specific purpose for his life. God performs incredible miracles for Paul and through Paul. For 20 years, he did nothing but serve God. Paul was all out and all in for Jesus Christ. Everything he did revolved around the Lord. But something happened. Something disturbing happens very soon after Paul starts following after Jesus. Paul was afflicted, the Bible says, with some sort of a physical ailment. Uh, This wasn't like acne or anything. This was kind of a a big deal. This was such a big deal that it became such a struggle for Paul that the very thing that God called him to do, this ailment started keeping him back from doing that purpose that God had put in his life. So Paul began to ask God the obvious thing. God... I need you to go ahead and remove this thing that's keeping me back from doing and making it so hard for me to do what you've been calling me to do. And God answers him and says, no, no, nah. (laughs) Paul, listen carefully. I don't care how much faith you have. I don't care how long you pray about it. I don't care how long you fast about it. I appreciate your obedience, but I don't care how obedient you are. I don't care how, how, how you beg and, and, and borrow or, or brag on yourself and try to, try to trade with me of your good works and how I should bless you because of what you've done. I don't care how much you promise me. The answer to this question and this, this prayer that you're asking for, Paul, Paul, I love you. Paul, I've called you. You're doing a great work for the kingdom. You're going to continue to do a great work for the kingdom. But the answer is no. Let me get this right. Let me get get this right. I'm a little frustrated when I read this kind of stuff. Paul wrote over half the New Testament and God says, no. Everybody say no. You know, that's that's not a nice word. That's not a nice word. Now, we, we use it a lot at our house already. No. He has no idea what it means, but I want him to get used to it. You know, like, a, you know, like the ring it has. No. You, no. There's a bunch of no's. Paul got a strong no. Now, if we're to stop right there, we could all go home and say, boy, I feel better about it. I kind of feel better. Sorry, Paul. I want you to get your miracle, but I kind, of, I kind of feel good about this. God knows you by name. He called you specifically for a specific purpose. He, it's kind of a, Paul's kind of a big deal. And God says, no. I want you to know that Jesus, the most used man in the New Testament besides Jesus was Paul. He got a strong no. Everybody say no. He got a no from Jesus. But in replacement of his request, God promises something else. I love that. And I, I want to preach it loud right there. But it's just good on its own. God never says no without giving you something else. He never does. Never. That ain't good because I said it. It's good because Jesus said it. 
Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writes these letters to the Corinthians. Corinthian church describing his experiences and his story. And because he tells them this story, because he writes this letter of his experiences and what he's gone through, then we get kind of an insight on what it feels like, what it looks like when God says no. Anybody want to know what happens? I do. Therefore, in order for me, in order to keep me, rather, from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. A thorn in my flesh. Now, I know some of you use that to kind of describe your in-laws. Anybody? anybody, No? No? Thorn in the flesh? Some of you use thorn in the flesh, and you didn't even know where it came from, and I just just schooled you right then. I just gave you exactly. How many of you ever use that? You're a thorn in my flesh right now. Paul says, I had a thorn in my flesh. And this expression is used, this is some sort of a physical ailment. This is a a plague that has been brought on to him. And he says, a messenger of Satan. And this doesn't, I don't know, Bible scholars can give you some more information on this. But I think it's kind of like that, that, that I'm in a, uh, a hellish situation. This is uh, terrible. This is like hell on earth. This is like one of, these, one of these sayings. It tormented him every single day, every single boat trip, every single time he wrote a letter. It tormented him. It was a constant torment. Lots of theories on what it was that specifically that was tormenting him. Some people think he had uh, uh, recurring epilepsy where he never knew when he was going to have a seizure and he'd black out and wake up on the floor. That's a theory. Some people think that he had uh, recurring bouts of malaria that, that he, 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 he never could really get over it. It always flared back up. Some people thought that he had trouble with his eyesight, that he would had trouble uh, seeing. And it, boy, the, would that make things complicated on spreading the gospel around the world. So the truth is we really don't know what it was specifically, but we do know that it was some kind of a physical ailment that was a constant torment for him. Now imagine this guy that has been specifically called by God to do an important thing for the kingdom. That anyone could be... Nobody on the planet had a more important job than this man of sharing the gospel of Jesus to the entire world. So you can feel the man's heart when he says, All I'm asking for, God, is for you to do what I have seen you do for others. I have seen you heal people. I have seen you do the miraculous. And in Corinthians 12, he speaks up again. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away from me. Now this doesn't mean that he prayed like Monday and Tuesday and skipped Wednesday and, and then prayed Thursday. That's not what that means. It didn't mean he asked three times. What this means is, is there was a long season of prayer. There was, there was this pouring out of this prayer, pouring out of this man. He's tormented by this affliction. And he says three times. Three times doesn't mean in a row. That means he's been, it's seasonal. He's pouring out his heart to God, asking God, pleading with God. And it must have been pretty bad because it went from praying to pleading. You know there's a difference. Anybody in the house ever stopped praying before and started pleading with God? God, I've been praying. I've been talking to you about this. Now I'm going to go ahead and need you to do something right now. This is where Paul's at. Paul says, God, hey, remember me? I'm important. you got a purpose for me. I need you to go ahead and do what you called me to do. And I need you to heal me, take away this. 
And he starts bargaining with God. He had to have started bargaining with God because that's what we do. God, I promise if you'll just do this one thing, I'll give up those cookies. I promise. God, I'll serve you for real this time. I'm talking about for real. For real this time. I promise. I'll lay down every habit, God. I promise. I promise I will do the right thing. I'll never do that one thing again. Imagine all that Paul could have used. God, he had a list of things he had done for the kingdom. Could he have started going down the list? God, you kind of owe me. I'm just saying. I didn't sign up for this. You you called me. I didn't call you. This is real. I've been been through so much for the kingdom's sake. Three times he pleads and three times God says no. It's kind of encouraging. It's kind of encouraging that someone this anointed, that someone this important to the kingdom... It kind of blesses me a little bit for Paul to get a good strong, nah, not right now. God says no to him, sorry, but it makes me feel better. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he picks up, but he said to me, he never gives you a no without giving you something else. He says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. I'm not going to give you what you're asking for. But my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to give you what you're asking for where you want it to be. But my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to have to go another season, Paul, without your miracle. But my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to have to go another season with dealing with this silliness in your life, but my grace is sufficient for you. Grace in this context, let me tell you what it means. It simply means the ability to put one foot in front of the other one. That's what grace means right here. Simple, simple. Simple. One foot in front of the other. Paul, my grace is going to give you the ability to get up and to get through one more day. Paul, my grace is going to give you the ability to go to work and endure one more day. Just one foot in front of the other. Paul, my grace is going to give you the ability to come home even when you don't know what's going to happen when you come home. Just one more time. My grace is going to give you the ability to keep on going in spite of the fact that nothing is going to change. God. So God says to Paul, who he loved, who he loved, who he called, no. I'm not going to remove this physical problem, but I am going to give you the strength. Everybody say strength. I'm going to give you the strength to keep going forward. If you want to know what the will of God is in your life right now, even though you're not getting what you want from God, guess what it is? It's for you to get the strength to go. It's not to back up. It's not to sit down. It's not to lay down. It's not to give up. 
It's to get the strength and the power of the Holy Ghost in this service right now for you to get up and go forward. Paul, I didn't call you. I didn't call you out of darkness. I didn't call you from killing Christians. I didn't call you and give you an anointing and a purpose for you to sit down because you got a thorn in your flesh. I just called you to get up from where you are, dry your eyes, and start taking one step and one foot in front of the other and trust my grace. Give God a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. My grace is sufficient. It just means it's adequate. It just means that it's more than enough, just more than enough. Is that enough? I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be healed. I just need your grace. You didn't get it. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be healed and whole. I just got to know that I know that I know that your grace is sufficient for today. For right now, for this moment, God just give me the strength to put one foot in front of the other. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. In verse 9, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What is this? Are you serious? I didn't ask for this. My, your power is going to be made perfect in my weakness. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't shoot the gun on that thing. I don't want it. Instead, I'll tell you what I'll sign up for. Here's what I want to sign up for. I want to sign up for the guy in the end zone with the football and his hand is up in the, in the end zone and he's running around talking, pointing to heaven saying, you're the reason, you're the reason, you're the reason. God be the glory. To God be the glory. I want to be the guy that hits a home run and runs around third and his hand's up going, yes, God, he's the reason. He's enabled me to do this. I love that. Don't you love that? At Super Bowl time, when they win the Super Bowl and they run up through those cameras and they put the mic in that guy's face, he goes, I'd like to thank my mom. I'd like to thank my dad. I'd like to thank God because he made it all possible. I think that's cool. I think it's cool. I hope you would do the same thing if you had a mic put in your face. We are all about giving God glory. When we don't want God to leverage his glory out of our weakness, we're all about being the home run king and pointing to God, but we don't want God to leverage our weakness for his glory. God can get you, God can you get your glory rather out of our talents, out of my home runs, out of my touchdowns, out of my opportunities and my strengths and my accomplishments. I'd appreciate that. If we want to hold the trophy, I love the Emmys. That is so cool. The Emmys or the, 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 the Oscars or people, they're thanking everybody and they're holding. This is amazing. I just like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I always wanted to do that. Because <laughs> he's, he's made it all possible and I'm awesome. <laughs> Look what I did. And somehow God gets glory 
out of our accomplishments, our opportunities, our talents, our skills. And I love that, and you love that, and you should do that. If you, if you win the award at your work, and you get the vacation, or you sell all that stuff, and you get that, you know, that one thing, and then you stand up for everybody and say, listen, uh, God gave me this job. God gave me this ability. God gave me this talent. To God be the glory. And that's cool. That's cool. And I'll be quick to give God glory in my talents. God put me in the spotlight. God, I'll shine for your glory. God, leverage my successes. God, I like what you're doing when I get patted on the back. I like what you're doing when you do that. God says, no, I'm not going to leverage your successes all the time. I'm not going to leverage your skills that I gave you this time. I'm not going to leverage your opportunities and your talents this time. In this particular case, it's going to be a good no. I'm going to leverage your weakness instead. I'm going to leverage your inability. I'm going to leverage the lack of opportunity. I'm going to leverage your failures. I'm going to get glory from you out of, out of, out of your failures and the stages of your weakness. You're going to find my strength. The good news is, is we don't have to choose this kind of stuff. God has to choose this for us. And it's a good thing. None of us would ever choose this. But isn't it true that you know people that have experienced a good strong no from God? And that somehow they were able to get up and they were able to say, God be the glory. God's going to make this all make sense someday. You know the ones I'm talking about that walk around with the, with the, with the testimony and the experience of how God, how God uh, uh, gave them wisdom and, and strength to get through something. And you walk away after hearing their story and you get in the car with mama and you say, God, I don't know how they made it through. I don't know what I would do if I had to face that. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. But when you look close into those people, you see something in them. You see peace. You see the grace of God in their face and strength in them. And if you talk to them enough, you'll hear them say something powerful like, His grace has been sufficient for me. So here's your heads up. Here's your heads up. If the truth, if this truth is in your future... And you're going to face this. And, there, and here's the explanation if it's in your past. And here's some comfort if it's in your present right now. God will. God has. God is going to showcase His strength in your weakness. And it has nothing to do with His love for you. He loves you. In fact, His strength in the middle of your weakness is His presence in your life. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God doesn't change our circumstances and I don't like it. Sometimes God doesn't fix it. Sometimes God does say not now, no. But in the meantime, my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes it will be just enough. Sometimes it will be just enough. It will be sufficient for what you're facing. Maybe it'll just be sufficient enough just to put one foot in front of the other. But if you will take the no, hear me. If you will take the no, you have to take the no. If you take the no, accept the grace. Many people get bogged down in the no. They get bogged down in the no. They get bent out of shape. They don't come to Wednesday night. They don't come to Sunday. They don't do anything. They just give up on God because they can't take the no. But here's what they don't realize. God never gives a no without giving the grace. Listen to me. 
God, God gave me that word for this church this night right now. If I've ever said that, I mean that. Take the no and accept the grace. Stop fighting the no. And I know that's tough. I know that's tough. And I'm closing. I'm closing. You can stand up. Listen, we have, we have had a tough first of the year with this subject in people's life. I know who I'm talking to. I'm connected to you. I know what you're facing. I know some of you have had some real no's. No, God has said, listen, not now. You're going to understand it someday by and by. And you may be wrestling. You may be fighting. You may be trying to work out the math because you just need it to make sense. But I just came to tell you tonight, accept the no. Take the no. Because the grace of God is sufficient to take you all the way. The take-home thought, the take-home thought. Number one, we have permission to ask God to remove our thorns. We have that permission. That's not a lack of faith. That's not a lack of faith. We have have the permission. But God has the permission to say no. Number two, God may choose to showcase his power on the stage of our weakness. But his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient to you standing in this house and you know what it's like to either have in the past experienced what I'm talking about presently you're facing it but you can rest assured that we will all face a no from God in our future you can understand that and believe that but here's what I want us to do I want us to grab a hold of the last part of that take the note Accept the grace. Thank you for listening to the Christian Life Austin podcast. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.